0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Tuesday edition, despite the president's push for Democrats to reach a deal on his Build Government Bigger plan, there is still a divide over who gets their way, progressives or moderates, and who's going to pay. We'll get the latest from Capitol Hill from Daily Caller's congressional reporter, Michael Ginsburg. And last week, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked by Fox News' Peter Ducey which was more important to the president, the vaccine mandate or fixing the supply chain.
2: COVID is an enormous labor disruptor, not only because it's the number one cause of death in some industries and some uh, professions, including police forces across the country, but because people are out sick, people are worried about coming to work. This is one of the reasons that a lot of these companies have implemented these requirements.
1: Nice non-answer. Well, a lot of those companies are in Washington, D.C. this week, lobbying the administration to delay its COVID shot mandate until after Christmas. Why? We'll talk about it with Texas Congressman Randy Weber later here on Washington Watch. And a judge in Loudoun County, Virginia, has found a biological skirt-wearing male guilty of sexually assaulting a teenage girl in a Stonebridge High School girls' bathroom. The judge said he would sentence the boy once a second assault he committed is adjudicated. Students in Loudoun County greeted the news with a walkout today saying the school's bathroom policies create an unsafe and dangerous environment. We'll get the latest on what is happening in Loudoun County, which has become a national issue from FRC's Meg Kilgannon. And the ranking member on the Senate Armed Services Committee, Oklahoma Senator Jim Inhofe, has warned the Department of Defense that their COVID shot mandate is going to threaten national security. How? Well, Senator Inhofe is here later with the answer. And troubling news out of Sudan is a military coup led by General Abdel Fattah al has dissolved the transitional government that has been restoring basic freedoms like religious freedom after nearly 30 years of the rule of the former Islamic dictator Omar al-Bashir. We'll uh, discuss the situation and the long-term effects of the coup with former Ambassador-at-Large for Religious Freedom Sam Brownback. And finally, last week, President Biden said the U.S. would defend Taiwan against China, but does his administration seem to be saying something else? We'll hear from Asian expert Gordon Chang later here on Washington Watch. A lot of ground to cover today, so stick with us. If you miss anything, you can find it all later at tonyperkins.com and by the way every morning you can join me for our stand on the word our two year journey through the bible you can catch it at tonyperkins.com excuse me tonyperkins.com or on facebook every morning all right democrats are making some tough choices about their massive social spending plan in order to satisfy key moderates in the senate to slash the top line costs from 3.5 trillion to between 1.5 to 2 trillion They've had to abandon several of President Biden's campaign promises, such as providing free community college. And programs that were initially going to be made permanent will now be set to expire in a year or two. The expanded child tax credit and the expansion of Medicaid. What else has changed? Well, joining me now to talk about the latest from Capitol Hill and the president's Build Government Bigger Plan is Daily Caller's congressional reporter, Michael Ginsberg. Michael, welcome to Washington Watch.
3: Hi, thanks for having me on, Tony. Um, and you're you're absolutely right about uh, the tough choices that Democrats are having to make. I think that uh, one thing that we're going to be looking at is, um, you know, their green uh, Green New Deal style provisions that um, you know members of the Squad, that Bernie Sanders, all um, all these more left wing members of the party have really been pushing. Um, this is stuff that uh, concerns, obviously, uh, Man- Joe Manchin, as um, as I believe you mentioned. Obviously, uh, Manchin represents West Virginia, uh, a coal heavy, coal mining state. Uh, coal is the ma- uh, key part of their economy. Um, he uh, has convinced them to uh, remove uh, a provision that would um, basically subsidize green energy companies and uh, and penalize carbon carbon uh, producing car. Co- companies that use carbon, uh, energy, excuse, excuse me. Um, and this is something that really would be devastating to his state's economy. Um, this morning he, um, he got into a fight with, or, or an exchange of words with a, with a climate activist. Um, and he told the activist that, you know, if you want to look at, uh, climate provisions, the, the United States has uh, decreased its carbon emissions over the last decade plus or so. And that, you know, um, if, if you want to look at this sort of thing, look look to uh, the East uh, East Asia. Look at China. Look at India, Singapore, Vietnam. All these um, all these emerging economies, because that's where uh, carbon emissions come from. So, Mansions exactly right about that.
1: So Michael, I would think that this is a real sticking point because for the progressives, this is like the crown jewel uh, is is climate change and their ability to eradicate fossil fuel, and as you pointed out. Uh, Senator Manchin, being from West Virginia, is not about to uh, sell his constituents uh, in the coal state down the river. So how did they get by this impasse?
3: Yeah, so they're they're still negotiating on this Um Sen- Senator Sinema, who, as we also know, has uh, expressed some concerns about uh, raising money uh, propose it, to pay for this, propose a carbon tax um, that. That was not okay with Senator Manchin. So, you know, we're still watching this. Um, President Biden goes to the Glasgow Climate Conference uh, later this week and he has said, you know, I want to be able to bring bring this up for a deal um, to show that, you know, the United States is uh, serious about uh, about addressing uh, climate change, global warming, all the all these sorts of things that, you know, he he did run on. But this, this is a stickler for Democrats. They, obviously, they can't, they can't lose any votes on this. Um, if if Manchin gets his way uh, with um, with these provisions, uh, left-wing members of the House certainly won't vote for it. Uh, Manchin did express uh, some optimism earlier today um, in a meeting uh, or in a conference earlier today. He said that he does believe that um, this will be passed by Wednesday night. Uh, but... Uh, You you know, I I would I would be surprised um, if this if this does um, if if this does get done and, you know, they're they're negotiating really heavily. But that that would that would definitely surprise me if they get all this done by tomorrow.
1: We didn't we didn't even touch upon the the, how they're going to pay for it because there's a disagreement over who to tax uh, in the plan now. Uh, Michael, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, appreciate you uh, giving us the latest from Capitol Hill on this uh, budget reconciliation bill. That's going to be a whopper if they ever get it across.
3: All right. Thanks for having me on, Tony.
1: All right. Thank you, Michael Ginsburg, with uh, the Daily Caller. All right. Business groups are pleading with the White House to delay its COVID shot mandate for private companies with a hundred or more employees until after the holiday season. Why? Well, because of a mass exodus of workers as they head into the holidays will hurt their bottom line. It will further disrupt the supply chain. And when most businesses make the bulk of their profit during the holiday season, it could be disastrous. But this says if they're just wanting to push it off until January, are they just concerned about their profits or their people? Join me now to talk about the latest On this is Congressman Randy Weber. He's a member of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee and the House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology, where he serves as the ranking member on the Energy Subcommittee. He represents the 14th Congressional District of Texas. Randy, welcome back to the program.
4: Thank you, Tony. Great to be with you.
1: So uh, what's your reaction to these uh, Hmm. big businesses lobbying the administration to push this off until after the holiday season?
4: Well, It'll never fly with the President because it makes sense, Tony. It makes sense from a business standpoint it makes sense from a liberty personal decision standpoint. It makes sense for helping our our already already completely stressed supply chains uh people who are having that personal liberty fight about whether they have to be instructed to take the mandate or i mean the vaccine or lose their jobs. It makes sense, and it's doubtful that the President will listen i mean We hear
1: all of this about the supply chain disruptions, and in part we have the issue with uh, trucking. We're already, according to the industry, 80,000 truckers short in that industry, and it's estimated that a third of the current trucking force will walk off the job if they're forced to get the mandate. How is that going to impact the supply chain?
4: Well, in a great way, people stop and think about it. For years, the trucking industry actually had a bumper sticker that said, if anything got delivered to your door, it came by truck. And of course, it comes from overseas, could come on a plane, on a boat, on a ship. It could come by rail into an area, but I guarantee it was delivered by truck in the neighborhoods. And not only is it 80,000 truckers uh, short, but think about this. You're going to have mechanics. You're going to have people that wash trucks. You're going to have people, staffers that work in those, in those offices that do the scheduling. Uh, It's going to be extremely disruptive, as you pointed out, at a time when a lot—and I owned a small business air conditioning company for 35 years—at a time when that is their biggest season, uh, Christmas, for a lot of these retailers. And I, quite frankly, don't think the Democrats care.
1: I want to go back to the business community for a moment because you know the. Com- I'm, I'm just going to be very candid, uh, Randy. The business, big business, big business, not the small businesses, not those under 100 employees, not even those with a couple hundred employees, but big business. The chamber of commerce. They helped put this type of left wing. Uh, policymakers into office. And then they come here asking the president, you know, not to um, not to impose this until after the holidays, because it's going to affect us. But what about their workers? Because after January, they still care about their freedoms, but the business will have them there working until after the holidays. They'll make their profits and then they'll give their employees the boot.
4: Well, that that's the sad thing about having to com- about one of the fat, sad things about having to comply with the with the presidential, what I call, dictatorial edict, because you're absolutely correct. Sure, they would get a reprieve for 90 days, and yes, the business is going to make their money, but yes, them, their families, of those workers are going to be stressed because at the end of the day, or at the end of 90 days, you're going to have the governor of the United States mandating that they must do something or they'll lose their job, and i tell you what, freedom in America is a very fragile thing. It's Reagan who said we're never more than one generation away from freedom, you know, freedom extinction. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, you're viewing it up close and personal right now by the Democrats, not just in the, in the pandemic and the virus, I mean, the vaccine mandates, but also in their spending bill that you talked about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you, this is a time where all citizens have to be engaged. Our republic... I often say on this program, was made for participants, not spectators. And if we stand on the side and watch, we will lose our republic.
4: Yeah, that's what we're fearful of. And you're right about the National Chamber of Commerce, uh, why they would support uh, these kinds of uh, this kind of left-leaning. And, and to be fair, sure, you see AOC and the squad, or what I call the odd squad, by the way, uh, you see them with more socialistic, more left leaning, more liberal, liberal ideology than ever before. But still, you would think that business people would get that and say bad for business, bad for America, bad for families, bad for individuals. Right. You think they'd understand that.
1: Yeah. But what they do is they they help get these left wingers into office. And then they come to the conservatives to try to save <laughs> them from the left wing tax policy. Uh, yeah. And it's one of these days. Maybe we'll all learn. Uh, that, well, the
4: old saying that if you're going to pay the fiddler to dance, be sure he's playing your song.
1: That's right. Yep. Randy Weber, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, stopping Thanks, in Tony. today. You bet. Thanks, Tony. All right, folks, Congressman Randy Weber of Texas. I'm telling you that we are in trying times. You've got to be informed and you've got to be engaged. you got to talk about these things. Speaking of talking i tell you, this is one of the things that's happened in education. We're going to talk more about Loudoun County next. Meg Kilgandon joins me. The uh, skirt-wearing biological male that uh, assaulted a girl in the girl's bathroom was convicted today. Students walked out saying they don't want these unsafe bathroom policies. Folks, it's time to stand up. Hear what's happening next on Washington
5: Watch. Don't go away. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text Stan to 67742. Again, text Stan to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Join us for FRC and FRC
0: Action's inaugural Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and to the truth of God's word, we've launched Pray, Vote, Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, The importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. Register online at prayvotestand.org slash summit or by calling 877-372-2808.
6: More than ever before, Christians need to be grounded in the truth of God's Word and be prepared to articulate them in a winsome manner. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. By applying the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to a wide range of relevant issues, including voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality, the experts of the center have provided resources to help Christians live by a biblical worldview. To understand why scripture must be authoritative and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. Access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series at frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including their latest blogs, op-eds, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, the Loudoun County team, this was the skirt-wearing boy, biological male, who allegedly assaulted two students in uh, the girls' restrooms at two different schools, was found guilty of all charges in the first assault. The, uh, The second one is yet to be adjudicated, and the judge said that he will... Uh, sentence the youth after the second case. The students in Loudoun County, as a result of the verdict, walked out uh, declaring that the school policy as it pertains to bathrooms leaves their campus unsafe and dangerous. Join me to talk about these and other developments is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back.
7: Great to be here, Tony. So
1: a lot of developments. Uh, Let's start first with the uh, conviction of this skirt-wearing biological boy who was allowed to use the girls' restrooms and sexually assaulted a teenage girl in the restroom.
7: Right. Um, Very unfortunate situation. The sentencing for that crime will not happen until the um, second case is adjudicated, but um, we're all very interested to see what the sentence will be and whether or not he'll be at school during this time. It's undetermined whether he's going to school in person or if he is remote schooling or what's going on with
1: now, him. Now, th- there was a cover up of this. The uh, I'm going to call it a cover up because yeah, in, it was. this happened on May 28th. June 22nd at the school board meeting, the superintendent was asked about this. uh, Have we had any issues in our restrooms uh, because of this gender neutral policy? He said, no, we've not had any policy. In fact, he goes on to quote various studies saying this is a red herring. Well, after this came out, uh, and we talked about it on Washington Watch, he held a press conference on October the 15th, Uh, in which he said, oh, we failed to to keep safe. In fact, I just want to play this clip. Uh, Clip number five, please.
8: We acknowledge and share in your pain, and we will continue to offer you support
4: to help your families through this trauma. For all of our students, our school-based united unified mental health teams are available to anyone who needs care. You
1: know, that sounds like the CRT language uh, that, that, you know, we share in your pain. No, you caused the pain. First off, by your your asinine policy that says boys and girls can use the same restrooms, and then you covered it up from the public.
7: Right, and then the prosecutor in the county decided it would be a good idea to put an ankle monitor on this young man and let him go back to a different school, which and do it the school again. agreed to, and the crime is repeated. Um, this is a terrible situation that should really cause parents in Loudoun County, all over Virginia, and all over the country to ask themselves a lot of questions they would rather not ask. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are the policies in my school regarding children who are, you know, charged with crimes? Right. Are they, are they allowed to come back to school? Should they be? Um, you know, there is a presumption of innocence until proven guilty. However, when children's safety is at stake, I, I think we need to be I, extremely careful.
1: I just don't know how you expect any different outcomes when you have policies like this that have biological males and biological females using the same restrooms, locker rooms, showers, etc. Right. I mean, how do you expect different outcomes? Now, I want to play another clip. Uh, this was President Obama because this issue has become... A national issue. It's become an issue in the Virginia governor's race, and and it's probably the number one issue right now in the race for governor of Virginia between uh, Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin. President, former President Obama, was campaigning for Terry McAuliffe uh, this past weekend, this past Saturday, and he had this to say about the whole education issue. Clip number three.
4: We don't have time to be wasting on these. Phony, trumped up culture wars. This fake outrage that, that right wing media's pedals to juice their ratings.
1: Uh, manufactured outrage. Phony culture wars. Uh, girls being raped in uh, bathrooms, that's, uh, that's phony, that's trumped up.
7: This is the great frustration with the, the culture war itself, is that it's the left that prosecutes this culture war and the right defends against it. And exactly. somehow we're the yeah. ones that are fighting Excellent the war. Point.
1: Excellent <laughs> this point. This is just
7: a classic move from their playbook.
1: We, we got so much to cover. I want to move on to something else. Um, the curriculum. Uh, there's a curriculum in the schools that, in, in order for the parents to be able to see this in Loudon County, they have to sign a form that's comparable to a non-disclosure agreement. This is to review a portion of the district's new curriculum, inspired by critical race theory. This this group that is peddling this stuff has connections to the Southern Poverty Law Center. What are they hiding? Why why do parents have to sign a legal agreement to see what their kids are being taught?
7: Well, because they don't want a screenshot of this going viral on the Internet when someone exposes it for what it is, which is critical race theory, which is an oppressor which versus happening. the oppressed which dynamic, right? Yeah. Um, this is the problem. And this is how parents were treated any time we wanted to see a sex ed curriculum before in the age before cell phones, you were put in a in a room by yourself, you couldn't make a copy of anything, you couldn't have a pen or a pencil with you to review this curriculum because it was copyright protected. And so this is how they kept those things under wraps. Uh, you could only view it during school hours, which means any parent who worked outside the home couldn't see the curriculum at all. I mean, and this is this is a classic move on their part, is to demand non-disclosure of parents who want to see, parents who are concerned and want to see material are not allowed to to discuss it or show it to anybody else.
1: You made reference to this earlier. Last question for you, Meg Kilgannon. You were in the uh, Department of Education in the Trump administration. This is not just isolated to Loudoun County. Correct. This is happening all across America.
7: Absolutely true. It is absolutely true. These policies are being promulgated all over the country, uh, in places that would really surprise a lot of people who are very comfortable in their, in their red district thinking that everything's fine in my school, um, you really ought to make sure.
1: We've got some resources available to help parents determine what's actually happening in their schools. Yes. Very quickly, tell them They're about it.
7: at uh, FRCaction.org, we have our school board boot camp. At FRC.org, we have uh, brochures talking about resources and things that are available to help parents just in understanding what's happening in schools today
1: yeah instructions on how you can make a difference in your child's school and, and how you can be better informed we you know the, i was encouraged by the kids standing up today walking out of schools demanding greater security and and uh, and safety by not having these crazy bathroom policies but we need parents yes. on the school boards putting an into this stuff all right folks meg thanks Stick with us. On the other side of the break, Senator Jim Inhofe of Oklahoma joins us. Don't go away.
9: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the app store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app.
2: Have you ever tried to read the Bible daily but struggled to get in a groove? It can be hard, especially if you don't know where to start or how to understand and apply what you've read. Or maybe it's just that doing it alone has made it too easy to give up. Well, let me encourage you. You don't have to do this daily discipline alone. You can join Family Research Council's Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. God's Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. That is why we want to read the Bible daily, and we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth and grow closer to God together. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's word by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. That's frc.org slash Bible.
0: Welcome
1: back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, the Pentagon is sticking to its guns, insisting that the COVID-19 shot mandate for service members does not pose a threat to national security, but rather is one of the best ways to preserve it.
5: The Secretary's view is that one of the best ways to make sure that the force is able to do its job to defend the nation is to, is to make sure that they're protected against this virus. Uh, we would agree with people that argue that it's a national security issue. And our view is that one of the best ways to be able to preserve our national security is to make sure that our men and women uh, are, are protected against this virus and therefore are healthy and able to do their jobs to defend this country.
1: That was Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby yesterday at a uh, press conference. Well, many disagree with uh, his statement that uh, that includes a number of uh, leading Republicans, including the leading Republican overseeing the Defense Department's budget and policies, who has sent a letter to the Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin demanding the Pentagon's vaccine mandate, quote, be immediately suspended. Join me now to talk about his letter and the concerns that he and many others share is Senator Jim Inhofe of Oklahoma. He's the ranking member on the Senate Armed Services Committee. Senator, welcome back to the program.
10: Well, thank you, Tony. Nice to be with
1: you. Now, uh, the military pushing back on your... Assertion that this is going to create a problem for our nation's military in terms of both retention and recruitment. Explain your concern about this shot mandate.
10: Well, first of all, that's just an outrageous lie. I've I've not heard anything that extreme because just the opposite is is true. I think people don't understand. A lot of people, even your good uh, listeners, uh, are not aware of the fact that. Uh, that there's a big difference between Democrats and Republicans when it comes to a strong national defense. And uh, the best evidence of that is when the first budget came along, uh, our president came out with the, with the figures that he was using, uh, we were going to increase all other uh, non defense issues by 16%, but only increase defense by 1.6%. Well, what does that tell you? That's about a 10-to-1 uh, difference there. It's because uh, a true liberal Democrat doesn't believe, believe you need a strong defense uh, to start with. Now, in my case, we, we're dealing with it. I called for the immediate suspension of the vaccination mandate. You know, I was uh, back in the days, and I've heard this argument given. Back in the days when I was a kid and I was in the United States Army, I could understand it. I never knew where I was going to be stationed and all that. And so there are a lot of shots that were necessary because of the unknown things. This has nothing to do with that. But we, what we have is uh, contractors who are working with uh, the military, and then the military, when they're uh, are, uh, given a mandate to stop that, and keep in mind the letter. And if anyone would like to see a copy of that letter, I have that on my website, which is inhoff.senate.gov, and you're welcome to pull that up. Because one of the biggest problems we have right now are problems with the military. We we left a presidency, Donald Trump, who is a very strong supporter of the military. In fact, he gave uh, me the opportunity to pretty much dictate what he was going to be doing on the military. He did a great job. And then, of course, it is replaced by uh, by someone who doesn't even think that we need a military to, to start with. And I'm talking about serious things. Uh, for example, pilot shortages. Right now, we have pilot shortages. Just a lot of that is due to the fact that we inherited a, inherited an excellent uh, economy uh, from uh, from uh, the Trump years, and so everyone is fully employed, and, and uh, it makes it that much more difficult to compete, and to keep people in the military. So we've spent most of our time trying to do that. But right now, we don't have the, the pilots that we need. And the reason we don't is the pilot shortage that has taken place, the economy has increased. And so the airlines and others are in need of pilots, and they can, in most cases, pay more than government can. So that's what we're dealing with right now. And it goes far beyond, and you and I over the years have talked about this as, as we've gone through Democrat administrations and Republican administrations. It's always during the, Repo- the Democrat administrations that we short the military. Right. And that's exactly what is happening today. Uh,
1: one final question for you, Senator, is you, you've given them a November 1st deadline to respond back to several questions you asked regarding Uh, this uh, shot mandate, but one of the issues that's been raised is this dishonorable discharges or less than honorable discharges for those who refuse the vaccine. Is that something you think you and your colleagues can stop from happening?
10: Oh Oh, yeah, we we can stop that from happening. We're going to have to go to the public, go to people like you, Tony, and others who reach out to the real people and let them know how important our military is. And the fact that right now we're in a situation we between China and Russia and many of our other adversaries. Uh, we're in the most threatened position that we've been in in my lifetime. I have no doubt about that. And this is the problem that we're facing at the same time that we have a presidency uh, who is not supporting the military. So it's a real, a real crisis. I want to keep in mind though, because you, you just mentioned it, uh, they're going to have to respond to us by when is it November first. Yeah. November 1st, they're going to acknowledge that they did not. It, uh, I'd like to make sure that you pay attention of what happens on November
1: 1st. Well, we will be watching, and, and, and uh, Senator, we hope to have you back on to uh, tell us what you heard by that November 1st deadline. Uh, Senator Inhofe, we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining us. As always, great to talk with you and uh, appreciate all that you do on behalf of our nation's military. Thanks so much, Senator. All right, folks, stick away with us. We come back with more Washington Watch on the other side of this break. Don't go away.
5: Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview trainings, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns will have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls them. This paid internship offers fully-funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving interns the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Is real biblical masculinity
0: lost forever? In this culture of gender confusion, there are too few examples of godly manhood. So where can men, husbands, and fathers find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength in this culture? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men Who Will Stand Courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous men's conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have a generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous
5: event near you at StandCourageous.com. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Yesterday, Sudan's military seized power from the country's transitional government, arresting the prime minister and members of his cabinet and vowing to form a new government. In response, pro-democracy protesters have been taking to the streets, vowing to resist the military coup, which has sidetracked the country's path toward democratic rule. Joining me now to talk about this is former Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom, our good friend Sam Brownback. Sam, welcome back to the program.
11: Hey, Tony, thanks to have me on and appreciate you uh, covering this topic of Sudan.
1: Well, it's, it's troubling. My, in fact, my last trip before the COVID uh, pandemic was to Sudan to meet with the prime minister there and uh, other leaders. And they were on a path to restoring religious freedom along with other fundamental freedoms. Uh, but let me ask you this question. Are you concerned that this could be a setback for the Sudanese people?
11: I am concerned, uh, but I'm also watching it closely, Tony. I was just over in Sudan in June of this year uh, meeting with the transitional government. I've met with uh, Prime Minister Hamduk several times. I, like you, was very encouraged about their movement forward that they were doing on human rights and broadening the country and religious freedom. Uh, But boy, you could see something was seething at that time, 400 percent inflation. uh, That's just the sort of thing that's going to really bubble up some way, and it sure looked like to me when I left that that something was going to happen here. My hope is that people can keep their eye on getting to a civilian government and elected civilian government next year, and that there will be commitments made to do something like that quickly here uh, by some transitional government.
1: Now they were slated to have elections in November. Uh, now the the military leadership is saying that the elections will take place in the summer of 2023. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, constitutional rights had been restored. We had saw we we had seen some of the most egregious f- provisions that were under Islamic the Islamic government of Al Bashir uh, had been eliminated. Do you think the military regime is going to put some of those more, more onerous restraints back onto the people?
11: Well, let's hope they don't. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know. I met with uh, two of the three military uh, people in some of the top positions on the uh, leadership count. So when I was there. Uh, they didn't sound at all like that was something that they wanted to do. Now, you know, well, let's see what the distance is between their words and their actions. I think that's critical. And the big thing we don't want to see is them returning to this militant Islamic government type that they had under Bashir, which there was an, a coup attempt to bring Bashir-type governance back in a couple of months ago. So this is a seething place. It's a critically important place. And uh, we've got to stay engaged, I think, to to keep it on somewhat of a path moving towards an open democratic country.
1: So, uh, Ambassador Brownback, what what policies should the U.S. be pursuing now, or what position should we take as it pertains to Sudan and this now military
4: government?
11: Stay engaged, number one. Uh, Don't just, you know, just march off the field stay engaged, I think, economically with them, too. They need that lifeline. And I think that's our critical thing that uh, keeps the Chinese and the Russians from uh, uh, taking over a lot of control of the place. Continue to demand elections uh, and a new civilian government be brought in, I think would be also a key thing for us to do. And to continue to press them for the human rights and to stand for these human rights, like religious freedom, that are really central to the operation of an open democracy and a, and a religious nation like what, like what Sudan and the Sudanese people are. To me, those are the key elements of what we've got to keep our eye on the prize about. And uh, there's a lot of factionalism involved. There's a lot of communists and Ba'athists uh, that are still operating. There's a lot of Bashir loyalists that are still there. We've got to, we've got to work with the better angels there to keep them somewhat on a positive track.
1: And as uh, Christians here in the United States, we can be praying uh, as well. There's a large, large Christian population there in, in Sudan. In fact, I had the opportunity to, to preach at a Catholic uh, service uh, while we were there outside of uh, Sudan. And so we need to be mindful and prayerful for uh, those that are simply wanting the ability to live out their faith in a, in free, in a free manner, unrepressed by the, uh,
11: by the government. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they have done a lot in that category. And they have formal relations with Israel now, which is an extraordinary thing uh, that they have done. So, I mean, they've made these huge steps, but then you get 400 percent inflation and you're going to have a lot of dissatisfaction that's taking place. And that was the thing that Rock Bashir earlier was he got a lot of inflation going, We just really – got to help them uh, get over these humps and just don't disengage and throw the baby out with the bathwater let's stay engaged and let's keep trying to help them move forward
1: ambassador always great to talk with you thanks so much for uh for stopping by and joining us today
11: happy to do it tony god bless you and your listeners
1: all right former ambassador large for international religious freedom our good friend sam brownback also senator from the state of kansas and former governor of the state of Kansas and a uh, a great guy. Well, during the CNN town hall meeting last week that President Biden had, he was asked if the United States would come to Taiwan's defense if China attacked. Well, in response, he said more than once that we would, adding that, quote, we have a commitment to do that, end quote. Statements that uh, President uh, Biden has made um, were countered by administration officials that have kind of walked back those statements. Joining me not to talk about this and the uh, the total disaster that is President Biden's Taiwan policy is China expert Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. He can be found on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. But right now, you can find him in the studio with me. Gordon, welcome uh, to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Tony. It's great to be here. Well, it's good to have you in studio. Um, Let's talk about this. The president was clear. In fact, you said he, is, he was clearer on our policy toward Taiwan than what we've seen in decades.
8: Yes, and, and this was not the only time that President Biden did that. He had a conversation with George Stephanopoulos of ABC News in August, and he clearly said then we're going to defend Taiwan like we're going to defend our NATO partners like Japan, like South Korea. That was that was unambiguous. But what we had was the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki. Day afterwards, we had the defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, State Department spokesman, Ned Price. They just contradicted the president. So, you know, constitutionally. The president makes foreign policy, but now it looks like it's Jen Psaki is the one who's calling the tune. So how does China interpret that? Um, China, um, when we can see this from a number of comments from Chinese officials, are just ecstatic. So, for instance, Chen Wei-Hwa, Wang, is the European bureau chief for China Daily, which is a Communist Party official publication, said, oh, Biden's too old. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He likes to bluff which is a real indication that the Chinese leaders look at this and say there is just disarray at the top of the Biden administration. And the reason why that's important is because they might be impelled to act if they think he, if they can get away
1: with it. Do you think China is willing to take the risk now to make a move on Taiwan? Normally, I wouldn't. And there are some reasons for stability.
8: But the problem is that Xi Jinping's a very bold leader. He has a low threshold of risk. And I think he can take us by surprise. And it's not just a question of a planned invasion. What I think is really dangerous is an uh, accidental encounter in the Taiwan Strait. Right. Um, China's been uh, maneuvering very belligerently, both on the, in the air and on the sea surface. So that could very well be what causes this. And I think the probability of war is much higher than policymakers in Washington think. So more of
1: an, an accidental incident that triggers
8: Yes, and we saw this on April 1st, 2001, early days of the administration of George W. Bush, where a fast-flying Chinese jet clipped the wing of our EP-3 U.S. Navy reconnaissance
1: plane. Um, you know, that was a disaster. Right. I was actually on the Hill this morning uh, meeting with some members, and we were discussing China, uh, and we were discussing this very issue of what might happen if uh, China made a move on Taiwan. One of the concerns is that the American public would not have the, the, the stomach for an engagement with China. And given China's growing military power, uh, we don't have the superiority that we once had. You know, our, our battle groups, there are, are, if, if we lost an aircraft carrier, uh, what impact would that have on the psyche of Americans Uh, in terms of uh, having a military engagement with uh, China.
8: yeah, There was a recent poll, I think it was done by Pew or somebody, who said that the majority of Americans would believe that the United States should defend Taiwan. But you're absolutely right. When it comes to it, we wouldn't know. What I'm worried about is the psyche of the U.S. Navy, where you have an officer corps that seems defeated. Uh, And also, we know that the Navy is a very troubled institution um, you had the fire um, at the Bonhomme Richard, right. lo- complete loss of the ship last year. And those two destroyer accidents in 2017, really a sign of a very sick institution.
1: Yeah, we've, we've, uh, we've actually seen, I think it was Senator Tom Cotton uh, and others that did their own evaluation of the, the Navy, showing that we've got some serious leadership issues there because we've been focusing on, Uh, these social policies as opposed to preparing our Navy to fight uh, military battles.
8: Right. I mean, it's it's that which is really troubling because, you know, when you have the president of the United States saying the number one threat is climate change, Um, and then with all these gender battles and uh, that they're conducting throughout the armed services, and we know the Navy, they they've had trouble on all sorts of fronts. I mean, they can't even get their um, aircraft carrier, the Ford, um, into battle shape. So this is a real problem that guns, that runs through the Navy from top to the bottom.
1: So, so Gordon Chang, let me switch gears a little bit, staying on China, but away from the military issue in Taiwan to the economic issue and the, the trade issue with China. And right now, where we've got this supply chain disruption, does this not tell us that we need different trade partners than China?
8: Well, it certainly does. I mean, when you have something like 80 container ships Outside of Long Beach. And this is not just a container ship problem. Bulk carriers also have these severe um, supply disruptions. And, and that means, you know, Vice President Harris, she was in Singapore in August and she said right then, look, buy your Christmas presents now because she knew that this was going to be serious. Um, we should be having Christmas. I mean, um, I I don't know what it's going to take, but clearly we should be making our stuff on this side of the Pacific. Do do we have to buy stuff from China? Can't we find some other place to manufacture these goods? Well, we certainly can. First of all, in the U.S., but also in Central America, because we've got these caravans that are pressuring our southern border. This is not Mexico. These are are people from the Central American countries because their societies were destabilized when factories left for China. Well, if we had the factories come back, we'd have prosperous societies there. We wouldn't have the problems, and we wouldn't have the caravans.
1: Right, so some of that manufacturing that's taking place over in China, where they're using the profits to build a military to uh, stand up against us, if we did trade with Central and South America... We, we solve several problems. We'd we solve
8: a lot of problems. And, you know, we have an administration that tells us that climate change Well, look if you have those 15 of the largest container ships pour more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere than all the world's cars. So you would think that this administration would be saying, let's sort of shorten our supply chains. Let's put less carbon in the air. Let's manufacture stuff on this side of the Pacific.
1: Well, and and you think of some of these critical uh, manufacturing uh, products, I mean, the PPE, uh, the personal protective equipment that we weren't able to get our hands on, that China even kind of threatened that they're, they weren't going to get it to us.
8: And China nationalized an American factory making the N95 masks. We heard Beijing specifically talk about trying to throw America into, quote, the mighty sea of coronavirus. So we do have these critical vulnerabilities where China makes something like 90 percent of the pharmaceuticals we use, plus also the active pharmaceutical ingredients. I don't know why we do this. What would it take
1: to see that type of manufacturing come back to this hemisphere?
8: it would take presidential leadership President Trump in his last year um, started down the path of industrial policy. And I know a lot of people don't like it, but we can't rely on China for this. So he had that $665 million loan to Eastman Kodak to make active pharmaceutical ingredients. Now, that was a misfire, but we need to do more of that, which means we need to have the president invoke the, the um, International Emergency Economic
1: Powers Act of 1977, make the stuff here. And then, for instance, uh, countries like um, Honduras, Guatemala, those countries where we're where, where supposedly, we're get, from that triangle, we're getting these immigrants coming here, mi- migrating here, because they don't have, uh, according to the administration, they don't have economic opportunity there.
8: Yeah, but you have the vice president who's supposed to be in charge of this, and she talks about root cause. And when she talks about root cause, it's just throwing American money into the Northern Triangle. Well, that's not the root cause. The root cause is, as you point out, it's having factories there, having a viable, self-sustaining society. Now, we can help by having, for instance, uh, changing our free trade agreement with the region, CAFTA. And if we just make a few changes, that would encourage factories to go over to the Northern
1: Triangle. Yeah, and we could also encourage to our tax policy, this administration talking about uh, taxing Uh, subsidiaries uh, that are uh, in other countries, you could have a differing tax rate, depending on what hemisphere it's in.
8: Oh, absolutely. There's so many incentives that we can give, uh, and we absolutely have to do this because, as you point out, China cannot threaten the U.S. without our money, and we're shoveling money there with trade, with investment, and and I just think that history is going to look back at us and say we're crazy. By the way,
1: uh, that stand mug, not made in China, made in the U.S., Fifteen ounces of ceramic, and it's all yours here in the U.S. And folks, you get one too. Go to TonyPerkins.com. Gordon, great to have you in the program today. Oh, it was so much fun, Tony. Thank you. All right, and folks, thank you for joining us as well. Again, check out the website TonyPerkins.com. You can find Gordon at Gordon G Chang. That's after he leaves here. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians six, where he says, "When you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed."